Uh, Ed Underwood has become a, f- a good friend and one of my mentors. Um, Ed is a guy who found uh, Jesus during what was called the Jesus Movement of the 70s. Um, he always says to me that back in those days, he thought Jesus was only one half of a cuss word. And, uh, and so Ed uh, found the Lord in the 70s as part of the Jesus Movement, went on to Denver Seminary, uh, or Dallas Seminary, sorry, um, worked with the Army, worked fight, fighting fires, and now pastors, and this is the real irony if you know Ed, pastors what is historically probably the most conservative church in America, Church of the Open Door, which uh, is down there in California, J. Vernon McGee's old church, and they planted Biola, that kind of whole thing. Yeah. And he's, um, he's making those people age even quicker, <laughs> uh, which is kind of fun. Yeah. So we're just pleased to have Ed with us this morning, uh, bringing the word. And so if you'll welcome with me. By, by the way, before I say that, Ed's second book is coming out soon on the Jesus Movement. His first book um, about his bout with cancer called When God Breaks Your Heart, we have for sale at the book table. And so if you'll go find that afterwards, um, which would sure, uh, be a great opportunity to bless Ed. Um, with that said, would you welcome Ed this morning? So. Well, it's great to be here. Greetings from Southern California. Man, I just... Uh, since I've gone bald, I haven't been in cold country. It's, uh, it's a whole new thing being bald when it's cold. And, and, uh, Mark chapter 10 is where I'm going to be this morning. So if you have uh, a Bible, Mark chapter 10, verse 45 is the, the verse. The passage will be Mark 10, 35 through 45. This is, we have, Mark has been on my heart and in my heart and in our community at Church of the Open Door this entire year. We have been studying the book of Mark, and uh, may not, I'll tell you a little bit later how it is that you, your church, and uh, a couple of people from your church had a lot to do with that. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, it's the theme verse of the book of Mark. It uh, is where Jesus tells his disciples from Mark's perspective and moving the message of Mark forward, what he's all about. And it's the first time in the book of Mark that uh, Jesus actually tells uh, specifically why he came. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. This is uh, the fourth time that, in, that Mark is through Peter telling us that uh, Jesus told his disciples why it is that he came, and he's trying to convince them that those who follow the suffering servant, those who follow the suffering servant, must be prepared to suffer and serve. It's only here that he lets them know that in just a few days he will give his life as a ransom for many, And that term ransom is really precious to us as Christians because it means that he paid our debt. And this is the big exchange. This is what we've been singing about. He loves us. He loves us. So Jesus is letting them know that uh, he's on a mission from his Father, and that is to make payment for the sin of the world. In the book of Mark, this is the climactic sentence to a time, just a, a fascinating time in the book of Mark and in the life of Christ. 
beginning at Mark chapter 8, around verse 20, well, right at verse 23, uh, uh, Jesus is up in Caesarea Philippi. So this, this is a map of uh, Israel. He's up north of Galilee in Caesarea Philippi. The disciples, the 12 disciples, have just finished making a tour of Galilee, doing great works in his name. In Caesarea Philippi, Jesus, uh, another of the gospel says that he set his jaw. He determined it was time for him to go to Jerusalem for the last time. This is his last time to visit Jerusalem because he's going to Jerusalem uh, to be betrayed, to die for the sin of the world, to be buried, and to rise again. That's why he's going. So on the way down from this uh, Caesarea Philippi down to Jerusalem, there's this ongoing conversation between Jesus and his disciples. He begins with a healing. He heals a blind man. A lot of other things are going on, but Mark, being uh, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, obviously, and Peter talking to him, uh, is trying to make a point for us, the reader. He begins with uh, one miracle where he gives sight to a blind man. Then there's this ongoing conversation between Jesus and his disciples. And the conversation goes something like this. I am going back to Jerusalem to fulfill my mission. I want you to understand that I am going to the cross. That it is my Father's will that I will suffer and die. Peter immediately doesn't like that message. Because he's also talking to them about greatness in his kingdom. And we know that they are thinking not of the Isaiah 53 Messiah, but of the Messiah of Zechariah. This is the Messiah that's going to come and conquer and make things his way. This is when he is going to make everything the way he would want it to be. They still believe that Jesus, in spite of what he's saying, is going to kick out the Romans and put them on thrones. That's what they think. Now, we can't be too hard on them because Jesus did say to them in Matthew 19, the sister passage to Mark 10, he said to them, I'm gonna, you are my guys. I'm going to put you on uh, 12 thrones in the regeneration, meaning the, the coming kingdom. And they thought, well, good, this is it. So Peter reacts. He says, wait a minute, wait a minute here. I don't want to have anything to do with this suffering and serving thing. No, this is working pretty good. we got a big crowd going here. We just went on a tour. We're casting out demons. We're healing the sick. we got some momentum here. Jesus wouldn't have any of it. He tells them three times on the way down, I am coming to suffer and to serve. And over and over and over again in all of these conversations, his point to them is, if you want to follow me, the suffering servant, you have to suffer and serve. The disciples are talking about the greatness thing. They're not, they're not talking among themselves about suffering and serving. They're talking about the greatness thing. In fact, they get in an argument over who would be the greatest. And then Jesus tells them again that he's going to die. He tells them they're going to sit on 12 thrones. And then we have this intriguing uh, request, the most ambitious request anyone has ever made of Jesus Christ. It comes from the sons of thunder. 
uh, James and John. Now, you've got to understand what's going on with the disciples. Jesus goes up to, just before he starts this, he goes up to, Mount, to the Mount of Transfiguration, and he takes three with him, Peter, James, and John. So that's wonderful. What if you're one of the other nine? Well, what are they doing up there? They come back, they're all glowing, and, and you're like, what's wrong? What, can't I be part of this? What happened? Jesus had told them not to say anything, but, you know, they're the first Christians, so I'm sure they didn't do that. I'm sure they went ahead and told. Come back, back, back down from the mountain, and they've been casting out all these demons, and then there's the nine of them in a debate with the Pharisees, and they can't cast out a demon, and Jesus does it, teaches them. This kind only comes out with prayer and fasting. So they're in this argument over who's the greatest. Jesus says, you're going to sit on 12 thrones, and two of the brothers, James and John, just couldn't take it. So they approach Jesus Christ with the most ambitious prayer, the most ambitious request ever made of the Son of God. And when I read this, I want you to notice what Jesus says to them I also want you to notice what he doesn't say. It's amazing to me what he doesn't say. Mark chapter 10, verse 35. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. You know, every, every parent knows this. Kid comes up, I'm going to ask you something, and I, I just want you to, to say yes. And parents are all like, yeah, right, sure. It's worse than that. Mark is, he's, he's just the facts uh, gospel. Matthew tells us that it's even worse than that. This is just Peter. Remember, you wouldn't believe what James and John did. Uh, Matthew tells us exactly what happened, and they went to their mommy and said, Mommy, you, you go ask Jesus if we could be the greatest in his kingdom. It's just what, it's a small request. We just want to be the greatest. That's, that's all we want, just a small thing. Would you please do whatever we're asking you to do? And he said to them, like, you can't you just picture him smiling? What do you want me to do? They said to him, grant us that we may sit one on your right and the other on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They said to him, we are able. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it is prepared. I love this part. There, were, there weren't two ambitious disciples. There were 12. And when the ten heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. And it wasn't because... My goodness, what an insensitive thing to say right after Jesus said that he's going to suffer and die. That wasn't it at all. It's like, well, if we knew all you had to do was ask for it, we would have done it. Good night. Whoever asks first gets it. What about us? 
stinking James and John. They drive me nuts. They're so ambitious. Not like me, I'm pure. But Jesus called them to himself and said, this is all of them now, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. Whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give us life a ransom for many. It's an ambitious request. I want to be great in your kingdom. The most ambitious request anyone ever made of Jesus Christ while he was on earth. I want you to think about what Jesus did not say. Here's what Jesus did not say. Jesus would have made a lousy evangelical. Here's what Jesus did not say. Oh, you're not supposed to ask for greatness in my kingdom. You're just supposed to be humble and just brighten the little corner that you're in. Because I only save nothing burgers, and I just want you to be over there and be a little no, nobody. That's not what he said. That is not what Jesus said. Jesus, not, in this whole dialogue, not one time does he shame them. Not one time does he correct them for asking for greatness. What did he say to them? You guys have any idea of what you're asking for? Are you, are you sure you want this? Now, to understand the rest of the sentence, the rest of this part of it, you, gotta be, you have to think like a first century Jew would have thought. They understood that when you talked about cup and baptism, you weren't talking about a New Testament baptism, and you weren't talking about a cup of coffee. In the Old Testament, both baptism and cup were metaphors, were figures, were pictures of suffering. They were pictures of suffering. When Job and the psalmists are thinking of being in such horrible conditions, when their life is just not making sense, when they just feel overwhelmed, they use the, the, the metaphor, the picture of baptism, and they say, I'm, I, I'm in such pain. I, I'm suffering so much. It's like I'm underwater, and, and I can't get a breath. What did Jesus say to his father in the garden? If it's possible, may this, what? Cup pass from me. Many places in the Old Testament, the cup is viewed as a cup of suffering. It's interesting that in the New Testament, there is a very real, there is an absolute one-to-one -one correspondence between 
uh, the work of the church in this world and the suffering that is necessary. Paul himself says, I am filling up my part, I'm adding my cup of suffering to this great big old cup of suffering that has to happen for the church to be its redemptive self. So Jesus says to James and John, he doesn't say don't ask for that. He says, do you know, do you know what you're asking for? You are going to have a cup. It's going to be your personalized cup. I have a cup that has some suffering in it that you must suffer if you want to be great in my kingdom. And to give them, and your life is going to feel many times like you can't get a breath. Now that's how much it's going to hurt to follow me. And that's the cost of greatness. Pretty sobering, isn't it? Jesus did not say, don't ask for that. I think Jesus was, I think Jesus' heart was thrilled. Man, I got two guys who really want to be great in my kingdom. I got, I, I got, I got two followers who just want to be everything they can be for me. But have you counted the cost, guys? Have you counted the cost? I came across this prayer in 1984. First time I put all this together in my own mind because I had always been shamed for my ambition. I'd always been shamed for my ambition. I mean, once I became a Christian, never anywhere else. And it's funny how I never knew shame as, as intimately as I knew it uh, when I got into that Bible Belt stuff, you know. And this was the passage that gave me permission to be ambitious in a way that's godly. I mean, godly ambition, most people would think that they don't go together, they go right together. There is a godly ambition, but it's a, a, the ambition is ambitious to follow. Ambitious to follow. And if you're ambitious to follow, then you are saying, I'm going to lead you in this prayer. You may want to pray it. But you've know, you, you you got to know what you're asking for. When you say to Jesus, I am ambitious to follow you, what you're saying is, I am ambitious to suffer for you. I began praying this prayer in 1984, never knowing that, whatever, 20 years later, I'd become the, you know, the poster child of suffering. I think this is a prayer that each Christian ought to pray. I want to be great in your eyes. I want to be all that you have called me to be. I think this is a prayer that families should pray. You want to really get into it. I've done it. Knowing the cost, I've done it anyway. I've prayed it for my children. Oh, man. Because here's what I know. You, you don't get out this sin-stained planet. You don't get out of life without suffering. And it is going to happen. But this prayer redeems the suffering. 
But I got to be honest, man, when I was going through all that cancer stuff and, and my skin was burning off and, and falling off and I thought I was going to die, I remember thinking about this prayer and saying, maybe, I don't know, maybe I'll take that one back. But it's even worse for Judy and I because we have adult children and we prayed it for them. And we talked to them about this, and they wanted it themselves. And there's not one of them that I wouldn't want to just jump into their life and fix it for them. But because they are disciples indeed, they are disciples indeed, and their life is, is tough. So you want to be great in God's eyes? Let him know. And the first thing he's going to say is, you tough enough for this? I mean, really? Are you buying into this? Because when you tell Jesus Christ you are ambitious to follow him, you are ambitious to suffer for him. The two go together. And that's true of an individual, that's true of a family, and that is true of a church. It is not the scope of your ministry it is the depth of your suffering that makes you great in God's eyes. And that's between you and him. I am gagging over all these churches that are trying to make everybody think this is the perfect place where everything happens right. We have all the best stuff. We do all the great things. And if you come here, you're going to be a part of something great in the world's eyes. Here's what you know, and I know your heart. I know the heart of your pastor and your elders. They're asking for this. This may be, I don't know if Ken wants me to say this, but if you don't want that, this may be the wrong church for you. Go to the glitzy stuff. Come down to SoCal. we got a lot of them. First mark of godly ambition, willingness to suffer. Second mark of godly ambition is a willingness to accept your place. Notice what Jesus says to them. He says, guys, I, I can't give that. Uh, only my father determines that. He's right in line with the rest of Scripture. Ephesians 2.10 says that before you were saved, before your mother was born, before your grandmother was born, before anybody came on the scene, your heavenly father had prepared works for you to do. And they are perfect for you. They're the works that he wants you to do. Oh, man. This is the hardest part, isn't it? I mean, the number of times. When I prayed this, Lord, I want to be great in your eyes. I'm willing to suffer. Lord, I want to be great in your eyes, and I'm going to accept my place, whatever that might be. That's my place. I'm going to submit to your Father's will for my life. I'm going to take that part of the vineyard that is mine, and I'm going to tend that one. And I meant it. Oh, man, it's hard. I've only been to two uh, pastor's conferences in, in my entire life. Um, uh, your, your pastor is an exception to this, but I'm, I'm just not real big on my peer group. And uh, so the first one I went to, it was a total wreck. And so the second one I went to, some people paid my way, and I just, so Junior and I thought, well, you know, if nothing else, we'll go. And 
and, and this is the way I do at conferences. If the conference isn't worth going to, then I go drink coffee or, or some other thing somewhere. And um, I just figure, you know, heck with it. I paid the money. I'm not going to sit and listen to stuff. And so this one was really hard for me. And it was all these guys, you know, I got the big old honking church, and we do things this, and we're contextualizing, and we got 42 principles of leadership. And I was an army officer, and I was a fireman. And I know that leadership, that leadership, whew, almost. <laughs> Woo. I've been hanging around Don Jacobson too much this weekend. I know that stuff doesn't work. It's just what little preacher boys write in books, and they don't know anything about leading. So I was getting pretty fed up and getting all full of myself. And then this guy came up, and he was like the big speaker. I knew this guy. And just between you and me, the weasel. And, uh, and he was the guy, you know, after, I went to seminary with him, and he's the guy after, you know, after every class, he's up there, oh, yeah, he's talking to the professor. And I, Should have known he'd be the guy they call up there. Man, I mean, I was, I was in a big-time sin pattern. And then I thought of those other ten guys. I said, oh, yeah, he's James, he's John, and I'm one of the other guys. Why am I upset? Why am I upset? I'll tell you why I'm upset. I'll just confess to you because I'm not the guy up there doing this talking. I, I, suddenly, I don't like my vineyard. It's too small. It's too, I mean, pastors, we get into it all the time. If I had a good church like that, if I was in a good place like that, I'd be way better off. I had a guy came into my office in this emerging leaders class that I have. He came in, he was really exercised. And I said, uh, uh, so what's gone on? He goes, well, you picked him to be the leader of this group. And I said, yeah, I did. Well, I've been in it longer than him. You know, and being that kind of a jerk myself, I was really able to identify with his sin. I turned him to this, and I said, uh, I won't use his name. I said, look, you're one of these guys. God the Holy Spirit moved me to pick Tim. That's what God did. God has something else for you. This is tough, isn't it? Not only am I going to say to the Lord Jesus, I am ambitious to follow you, and I am, that means that I understand that I am, ambitious, I am ambitious to suffer for you. I am also ambitious to take my place. That's not only true for you, it's true in your marriage, it's true for your family, and it's true for this church. God has a place for Antioch in the world. And he is calling you to things. And what he doesn't want you to do is to compare with other churches and think that you just, you just be yourself. God is creative. He doesn't do any two things alike. Just be who you are. In my personal opinion, I think you're great. So don't start looking around. And, and, and don't start looking at what other people get to do in the church. So, you want to be ambitious for God? Be ambitious. Ask for greatness. But know that you've got to be ambitious to suffer, and you have to be ambitious to accept 
your place as the place that he prepared for you. Now the third one. Jesus pulls all the disciples together. And he said, here's what I want you to understand. The greatness in my kingdom, the role of a great one in the kingdom of God, is upside down when it comes to the great ones in the world that you're looking at. They define greatness by how many people work for you. How many people look up to you? How many people serve you? I define greatness by how many you serve. I define greatness by how many you serve. So if I'm going to ask God for greatness, in just a few minutes, I'm going to, I'm going to ask him again, and you could join me in that. In fact, I'm going to even ask him on behalf of the church. If you're asking God for greatness, what you're asking him, what you're telling him is, I am ambitious to follow your son. That means that I am ambitious to suffer for you. Just remember this. Grace is a safe place. But it is not a soft place. Grace is a safe place. It'll be God doing it through you. You will be doing things that you couldn't imagine you would ever do. But it is going to be difficult because grace is not a soft place. You're telling the Lord Jesus, I am ambitious to be who you created me to be, to do the work you created uh, me to do, and to be the church and to do the work you created us to do. And I am ambitious to serve. Even when I feel like I'm not getting enough credit. Even when I feel like I'm the one. I, I just, isn't there a time that I get taken care of? The answer to that question is no. Not if you're ambitious to follow Christ. It is always about other people. Now just let me tell you how even at my age I, uh, God's answering my prayer to be a learner. The most discouraging part of coming to Christ during the Jesus movement was that we were the young radicals and we were reading the Bible and we were seeing things that the other generations had never seen. And it was stuff from the Bible. And it was truth. And they would not listen to us. So we just did our own stuff, and everybody lost. We didn't have anybody mentor us, and they didn't have the truth coming from us. My personal view of uh, submission and authority is that they're not control words, they're love words. I don't think the words submission and authority in the biblical usage are control words, they're love words. And my personal view of Ephesians 5 is that there's mutual submission in the body of Christ. And that submission empowers us. So I've, I've preached this and I've prayed this since 1984. And I always thought about it only in these terms because I'm a child of the 60s. I'm a child of the Jesus movement. I'm 60, almost 60 years old. And 
every time I had thought about this and every time I had prayed about this and every time I had applied this, I had applied it within the circle of the community of faith. I wasn't rebelling against God. I just didn't know any better. And then God started introducing me to people, young people, guys who remind me a lot of me back then, guys with a fire in their heart. Our worship leader, Tom Townsend, our uh, student ministries pastor, uh, Matt Ketterling, young guys, edgy guys. Then I came up here, and I'm thinking about all, I'm talking to my son, the army officer. He's talking about this stuff because of what he had seen in Iraq. And uh, I come up here, and I sit on uh, Don's patio with a guy named Matt Smith. I started talking to a guy named Ken Weitzma about the biblical view of servanthood and how it goes beyond the borders of the church and it's not just uh, serving one another, it's, it's serving humanity. And this is hard for me and I'm, I'm still on a learning curve. I'll tell you how much guys my age suck at this. Uh, every year at Church of the Open Door, we study, a, we study a book of the Bible, and it's our theme for the year. And so this year, our theme has been extending uh, grace to the hurting, uh, to the overlooked, to the, to the poor. I never, you know, it's my sin. I never got it. And we, we're so bad at it. It has taken us a whole year to see, uh, finally, we got just, just pockets of people uh, serving um, uh, with one of our doctors down at the mission. In the, uh, we got a, just about eight people uh, feeding the poor. Uh, and man... <laughs> I'm uh, talking about social justice and just getting clobbered by a lot of people. Social gospel? Social justice, social gospel. I mean, meaning, if, it, if, if there's meaning to words, it's, it seems different to me. And so uh, that's why I brought this message to Antioch. I just want to thank you guys. We're almost 100 years old. Church of the Open Door. You're three plus years old. And uh, we submit to your strength. We submit to your strength. I just can't tell you how excited I am that you guys are here. And I want to lead you in a prayer and ask God for greatness for this community of faith. You know, I think a corporate prayer, I'm thinking a corporate prayer differently. It used to be one guy praying and a bunch of other people thinking about whatever. 
I view it now as I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna turn around when I pray, but I just view it as, as this community, it's a, it's a throne of grace. And that we all walk up into the throne of grace. And, and all of us are, are, are standing before the Father. His son seated at his right hand. And we got something on our mind. And we've designated one of us. Go ahead. <laughs> and that person stands up and says, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, if you would, kind sir, consider our request. Let's pray. Father, we come to your throne of grace, and I pray for these friends at Antioch Church. I thank you, Father, for the way they are training us in Southern California. And I know their pastor's heart. I know their leader's heart. They want to be great in your eyes, not in the world's eyes, but in your eyes. And so, if you would please, in the name of Jesus, kind sir, Grant us the privilege of being great in your eyes. Hear us say we are ambitious to follow Christ. We are ambitious to suffer for him. We are ambitious to accept our perfect place in your word. And we are ambitious to serve. In Jesus' name.